We're back with another episode of Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, where we and our guests discussed relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. As usual, our guest today will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, and he will be Dr. Al Oliva, a friend of mine and a plastic surgeon who operates in Spokane, Washington. He's going to help us understand the multifaceted public health harms of pornography, as well as a rational and loving response to it. You know, it's a tough topic. Um, there's no way to dress this up as an easy topic, is it? And we're going to use some language that may be a bit uh, euphemistic, maybe a little medical. Um, we try hard to be accurate and precise in our language in medicine, uh, but we can't ignore the fact that this is a tough topic. So you may want to ask the little ones to, um, you know, not listen to this show. But we think you deserve to hear what you're going to hear today because it's a scourge in our society. And I thought, since we're talking about pornography, public health, and crisis, that we should first define some terms. You know, that old saw that pornography is, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. I think that's utterly false and is trying to avoid a very important thing. So I turn to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which actually gives a very useful definition of what pornography is. And in paragraph 2354, it says that it, it takes and removes real or simulated acts of intimacy and removes them from the partners, husband and wife, where they should be, in order to deliberately display them to third parties. It offends against chastity because it perverts the conjugal act, which is supposed to be the intimate giving of spouses to each other. And it injures human dignity and those of, among those of its participants. In other words, the actors, those who sell it, and the public who receive it, their dignity is all harmed because an act that's supposed to be a glorious, intimate relation between husband and wife just becomes an object of base pleasure at with which others can illicitly profit. And it gives somebody the illusion of living in a, in a fantasy world. And, and it goes on and it ends by saying that our government authorities should prevent the production and distribution of pornographic materials. Amen to that. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm not one of those people that can remember movies. I wish I wish that I were one of those people, uh, but I can't. But I was trying to think of, in my mind, listening to you, there are uh, intimate scenes in some movies that are very, very good. Yes. They're, they're intimate. They're depicting the closeness uh, of man and woman in a way that— uh, it, it leaves a great deal to the imagination, yes. um, but it also depicts beauty. Yes. And I think one way to think of pornography is the direct opposite of that. In pornographic images, beauty is not being portrayed. Oh, it, oh no. In fact, in preparing for this interview, I think the phrase that's going to stick with me the longest is that we are taking an act that has been euphemistically called making love. And what pornography has done, especially since so much of it is so vile and uh, violent ridden, instead of making love, it's making hate. Mm. And that just clicked. It's like, yes, that's what's going on. Another another approach that I like is um, uh, I have sons. I have two daughters as well. But I've in, in helping raise my sons around this topic, I've tried to think of using the objectification of a woman. Yeah, making her a thing instead of a person. Particularly since they have a sister. Uh, and we used to always say to our sons, uh, every woman portrayed in an image is someone's sister or daughter. Yes. They have a sister. Uh, think of it in those very real terms. And usually you can see those dots getting connected in young people's minds where they realize this actually isn't good, is it? This, this is fundamentally bad. Well, now we take the term pornography, and in this discussion with Dr. Oliva, we're going to talk about it as a public health crisis. But what's public health? You know, that's tricky because we think about health of an individual. Yes. But public health is not the health of an individual. No, it's a health of? A public. <laughs> oh, right, or population. <laughs> exactly. So public health is actually defined as the science of protecting the safety and improving the health of communities or populations, small to, to worldwide. Whereas, you know, we in our clinics every day are taking care of the health of individuals. So these people working in public health have a, 
a different way of looking at things. They do. We're thinking one-on-one, is this antibiotic right for this patient? Whereas a public health expert is thinking, what if everyone in the population takes this antibiotic? So sometimes the goals... Or vaccine. Exactly. Sometimes the goals of the individual can appear to be at odds with the goal of the entire population. That's why when you and I are in the exam room, we really can't think about public health. No. We have to think about the health of the individual. But it's actually uh, public health initiatives that in the end save more lives probably than what we do individually as a physician. Oh, statistically, most definitely. Oh, yes. But here, putting those two together, we're talking about uh, something that is harming the safety and the overall health uh, of the entire public, and that is uh, pornography. Right. And so what is a public health crisis? And in, in searching the Internet, I came across very few definitions of that, even from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which the CDC is the largest U.S. organization concerned with public health. You know, I thought about uh, your trivia question from a, a previous show that we did. It was two words, black and plague. Yes. That would be a public health crisis. <laughs> that would be a public health crisis. <laughs> Something that uh, has a devastating effects on the health and safety of an entire population. And, and the thing is, as you're going to learn, we get into a few statistics. Um, this affects more people than the, the Black Death did. Remarkable. Uh, although this is, and it's even leading to physical harms, not just uh, relational harms. But, you know, one definition for crisis is, uh, public health crisis is the turning point of a disease when an important change takes place, indicating either recovery or death. Now, I remember I was at a public health conference in 1992. I was actually giving a talk on uh, vaccine uh, efficacy for uh, plague vaccine. <laughs> it was one of the <laughs> things I worked on. But there I heard a term that I never thought I'd hear these three words juxtaposed in the way they were. And these three words were commercial sex worker. Wow. And they were concerned about the health of these people who, growing up, I had known as prostitutes, never with a positive connotation. So even back at least that far, there have been a segment of medicine trying to normalize that kind of behavior. You know, the people who act in these videos or pose for these pictures. I, I think it's just very, very sad that that particularly women would allow themselves to be objectified. Although from what I've heard, many of the times they're under uh, a great amount of duress when they're doing this. And we've certainly had guests talk about sort of the, the epidemic, if you will, of, of human trafficking. And many women are uh, enslaved in these pretty horrific and, circumstances. And Dr. Oliva is going to cover that connection. Now, in looking through recent medical literature... Uh, actually, from January of this year, 2019, in the Journal of Clinical Medicine, there was a, a, an article called Online Porn Addiction, What We Know and What We Don't, a Systematic Review. So this is not from a Catholic or Christian uh, viewpoint at all. And they had a, a fascinating term in there, fascinating because of how much it assumes. And that term was problematic online pornographic use. So if there's problematic online pornographic use, they're implying that there could be non-problematic online <laughs> pornographic use. Really? <laughs> now, I remember my second year of medical school, my first week of class was a class in sex education. And the first two days of, of this were uh, full of the most vile videos you could imagine. And I was the only person in my class who refused to attend that. I didn't want those images floating around in my head, and thanks be to God I don't. But the premise was that if you watch this, you would become more empathetic with patients who engaged in these. And I, we'll hear from our expert, I think, but I, I, I believe what actually happens is you become desensitized, right. which seems to be the purpose or the object. Uh, is to become desensitized. So your warning alarms don't go off when you see this right. objectification to say, this is trouble, stay away. In fact, you know, your your defenses don't fire, so you're much more likely to keep re-exposing yourself. Right. To. It's like saying you have to be a thief to be able to empathize with a thief. That doesn't make any sense. I think we'll get a chance to talk about it more, but I think what is what we'll learn, and we've learned from other guests, is what's different today than... 15 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, um, is the unfettered, unlimited access to digital pornography via the Internet. 
Oh, yes. I mean, they talk about the triple the A effect that is leading to the wholesale spread of this. And, and that is accessibility, affordability, and anonymity. And when you have those three things together, it makes it so easy. But guess what? We on Dr. Doctor are trying to use those same three things to reach an, our audience for good. We try to be accessible. We are affordable. We cost nothing. We're definitely affordable. And you can be anonymous listening to us. You don't even have to tell anybody that you listen to us. You don't even have to admit it. But it's probably worth a public health warning, and that is listening to Dr. Doctor repeatedly could become uh, addictive. (laughs) And it it could generate some unusual behaviors in the listeners. So listen with caution. You know, pornography, sadly, is a $100 billion a year industry. And it uses more bandwidth on the Internet than Google, Amazon, YouTube, and Netflix combined. That's 4.6 billion hours of viewing a year. Yeah, the we've had a host uh, earlier. I believe it was sometime last year, and I've forgotten her name. But she talked about screen addiction in particular. Oh yeah, Sister Marisha. And then she talked not only about screen addiction, but screen addiction to pornography was a unique, special uh, circumstance and what the screen does to the brain with the number of images uh, that are being presented per unit time compared to just a picture in a yeah. in a magazine or, that, or or even a stable picture right. just on the internet. And it's truly devastating to young minds. There's also some studies that I'm reminded of that shows the average age uh, of a young boy's first exposure to pornography is in the fifth or sixth grade. Which is is just very sad. And today, that's not going to be a wrinkled up picture out of a magazine (sighs) from the boy's older brother. It's going to be a high intensity, high resolution digital image on a device. In the study that I was quoting earlier, or the review, they mentioned that um, the problematic form of online pornographic use is something that uh, results in physical problems, like a man being unable to complete an act of of intimacy with his wife, uh, having dissatisfaction with one's um, intimate relations with your spouse, or also other problems like anxiety, mood disorders, depression, substance use, smoking, drinking too much alcohol or coffee, uh, etc. So at least they recognize that some pornography is problematic, but not necessarily all. But it's probably worth pointing out that um, despite what some may think, you and I are not just uh, two old prudes that are sitting here saying, this is a bad thing, don't do it. It's actually causing harm. That's why it's a public health crisis. Relationships are being destroyed. Marriages are being destroyed. Careers are being affected uh, directly and indirectly when marriages fall apart. This is truly a public health crisis. Well, let's get to our guest right after I pose the medical trivia question of the day. In 2016, which was the year that the Republican Party added a plank to its platform stating that, quote, pornography is a public health crisis, end quote. In that year, Utah kicked off a movement in state legislatures, and they were the first one to recognize pornography as a public health crisis. Then in May of this year, 2019, Arizona adopted a similar resolution. So with Arizona, how many states in the country have now uh, recognized pornography as harmful to public health? We'll be back with the answer toward the end of the show, but right after this break on Dr. Doctor, we'll be back with Dr. Al Oliva. And we're back with today's special guest, Dr. Al Oliva, a plastic surgeon from Spokane, Washington, and a friend of mine, I'm very pleased to say. He is a microvascular breast reconstruction surgeon, in fact, has the only uh, microvascular microsurgery center between Minneapolis and Seattle in that big, broad part of the country off to the the Northwest. He uh, is trained in uh, general surgery, plastic surgery, microsurgery. He worked in academic medicine for a while before settling with his family in Spokane, Washington. He's been married to Charlotte for 35 years, has four daughters and a bunch of grandchildren. And he and his wife are the founders of the Walk for Life Northwest. But he has a passion for, for ridding our land of the scourge of pornography. Al, thanks for being with Dr. Doctor. Thank you very much for having me, Tom and Chris. Um, I, I'll, I'll enjoy being here with you. 
Well, we hope you feel that way at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> we're really happy to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. We warned our listeners earlier that we were talking about some difficult topics, and we'll try to be euphemistic yet medically correct in our, in our language. But, but, you know, to get us started, I, I think we all can remember, at least those of us are uh, of the age of Tom and I, that until recently there's been sort of this, you know, wink-wink, nudge-nudge kind of secular cultural feeling that uh, boys are boys and they're going to look at pornography. You know, what's the big deal? Uh, it's a victimless crime, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we, we've heard sports, famous sports figures and movie stars and others say similar things about uh, pornography. Maybe you could start off by helping our listeners understand why is pornography even something that we're discussing? Well, you know, um, I'll just tell you, I'm in my early 60s, and in, when, when I was a teenager, um, perhaps seeing a centerfold was, uh, was all there was to it. There was nothing more. There was a curiosity about what the female body looked like, uh, and that was it. Um, that is not what pornography is today. So it's a different what, thing what, now than it used to be. Correct. And so what's happened is with the, it's, it's all because of the Internet that everything has changed. Mm. So now we have a young child, 8 to 10, maybe 11 years old, who gets catapulted into a world of uh, violence. Uh, and so he's not seeing what normal sexual activity is. He's seeing a gross distortion of it. And he's, he's exposed to violence and where women are demeaned, called bad names. Um, and so, and, and this creates an incredible amount of anxiety in this young person. He's somewhat excited. He's fearful. And uh, this is not what the pornography of the past was. This so is, before the uh, Internet, was there much different from when you were a teenager until, say, the early to mid-90s? Well, before the Internet, yes, because it was all about uh, accessibility. Uh, certainly there were violent types of pornography, you know, in the in the 50s and 60s, but, but there was no availability to that. Got it. Uh, there was never the opportunity for a young child, a prepubescent child, to go to an adult bookstore and view, uh, you know, a violent video, where today it is on every smartphone. That is the problem. It is a completely different animal. You know, it's interesting. Just thinking about contemporary culture today with the access to digital that we all have, I think just in general, photographs are more a part of, uh, and images are more a part of our everyday life than they ever were before. Who would carry around three by five photographs? You know, you could only <laughs> carry so many pictures in your right. in your wallet. Now we're walking around with tens of thousands of images um, on our smartphones. Um, so just imagery is a bigger part uh, of life. Yes, absolutely. That is that has changed everything, and uh, and the images have, have become progressively more violent. And to understand that, you have to understand a little bit about how our brains work. And very much like, uh, and we'll talk about this later, but very much like a basic addiction to a drug like cocaine, we manufacture our own drugs uh, like dopamine. They're still drugs, even though we manufacture them. But you need increasing doses in order to achieve the same effect. Just like a cocaine addict may end up be going to heroin. You need increasing amounts in order to have the same high. And that's what's happened with pornography. You need increasing more stimulus in order to have the same, uh, the same arousal effect. And that's why there are more violent uh, sets. 84% or so of pornography sites have uh, shown some violence uh, against women. And, you know, and these women, are, uh, they appear as if they're liking it, which is absolutely a distortion of what any human being uh, would want to be put through. And this is what young children are exposed to. You know, it isn't that they're exposed to sexual intercourse with two loving people. They're exposed to sexual intercourse that's violence, and, and it's showing a degradation of one person, usually the women, who are being uh, degraded. 
But would you say that even if this child saw a, quote, loving action, that that still would be harmful to them? Well, I think it's harmful in the sense that they don't have the uh, the psychology and the emotions to to uh, encompass all of that. But at least they might be seeing, let's say, a young child who happens to spy in their in their parents' uh, bedroom. <laughs> that never happens, you know. Al. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, I don't think that's nearly as harmful. I mean, they're seeing somebody right. at least who's 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 engaged in a loving act. Uh, this is not at all what they're viewing in pornography. Al, when I uh, was preparing for this uh, interview with you, I, I've seen that, you know, on the Republican Party platform, they have that uh, pornography has reached the level of a public health crisis. But yet when I read right. other sites, they talk about the fact that th- this isn't even a possibility. It's not true. It's not harmful. Why do you think so many people defend pornography, especially women? Well, you know, um, I, I think there's, um, there's a, a vocal minority. Uh, certainly, uh, our generation is seeing the, the death of science, you know. We, we just ignore data. Yes. And so we have people that get up there and say whatever they want, even though it's, a, it's, against, um, it's against what's published. They simply, they simply state that. But more and more, um, more and more organizations, uh, states, legislatures, are starting to realize that there is a public health issue related to pornography. It isn't just something benign that people do in the privacy of their own homes. And we're starting to see this. Even the CDC has reported that there's an increase in sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, OSHA in California has numerous times um, cited the pornography industry because, you know, they promote not using condoms. Uh, they promote, um, you know, sexual acts that you and I wouldn't even think are possible. We're now seeing um, drug-resistant gonorrhea of the eye, uh, which we've never seen any of this stuff. Not to mention the incidence of, of um, uh, erectile dysfunction in men between 18 and 26. That should be zero. In some reports, it's as high as 40%. This is just kind of crazy. It is crazy. So there are There's, there there are health problems with it. Al, in two thousand nine, a group was started that uses the uh, the phrase "fight the new drug" to refer to pornography. What does that mean? What's what's the new drug have to do with pornography? Well, this is um, this group is um, is started by Clay Olson. And Clay uh, actually came to Spokane and, and spoke at our conference. And, um, you know, he, um, he has a soft approach uh, to this because he's trying to reach young people. And he's trying to show how relationships are completely destroyed. And the new drug is pornography because he understands that there is a uh, physiologic um, template that's being formed and um, and it acts like a drug and so he's he's asking young people to fight this new drug don't don't be involved with it and if you go to his website fightthenewdrug.org you'll see a lot of um, uh, you know really thoughtful ways that he's trying to reach young people um, in in the bay area he had over a hundred billboards I'm not sure how he was able to to uh, raise the money to do that, but he had a hundred billboards that said, um, "Porn kills love. Mm. Fight for love." Ooh. And um, and so he's he's really a he's become a friend of mine, and and uh, he's just a wonderful young man, and he's devoted his entire life to this um, to this cause. Well, Al, our listeners, if if they're interested in this, you know, I think of it when you talk about the drug and. Uh, drugs have effect on the body. Way back on episode number 21 of Dr. Doctor, we had a neurophysiology expert on pornography addiction um, and how it mimics other addictions, some of the things that, uh, that you've touched on. What would you want our listeners to know about what happens to the brain and someone uh, that is viewing pornography? Well, you know, um, 
as others have said, it, it hijacks our pleasure uh, reward center. And so this is a complicated uh, part of our brain in the middle of the brain, and it communicates with other parts of the brain, like the part in the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. So people who view pornography, and there are uh, good studies that prove this, and and the studies that are important are are functional MRIs. That means they do MRIs in, in patients who are actually visualizing pornographic images. And they compared those to MRIs of the brain of normal people who don't view pornography three to four times a week. And this was a study done by Dr. Boone, V-O-O-N, at Cambridge. And she proved that these areas of the brain actually diminish um, while the areas of the brain that are also deal with drug addiction, you know, explode in terms of the, the color mapping in the brain. So the, the, um, the reward centers are, are hijacked from having too much uh, excitation with dopamine, but at the same time, the prefrontal cortex, which creates our judgment and our ability to reason, is shrinking. And she has these functional MRIs that are, that are completely, it'll blow your mind if you see them, and that's corroborated with uh, MRIs done at the Max Planck Institute in um, in Germany. So we have uh, two huge studies that that really show that there are incredible changes that occur in the brain. And so it's not to be taken lightly. You know, we used to think that uh, that the brain stopped growing, but it, that's not the case at all. The brain changes continuously. There's a um, there's a plasticity that occurs in the brain. Uh, that keeps going. Al, this is stop. this is a fascinating idea that uh, viewing something can actually change the structure of one's brain. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back uh, with Dr. Doctor uh, in just a moment. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor from the studios of Redeemer Radio. Al, before we left, we talked about some of the structural changes of the brain. Uh, that happens from viewing pornography. Earlier, Tom and I went through some definitions of public health and public health uh, crisis, but what are some of the key public health uh, impacts of pornography that people really may not be aware of? Well, again, you know, it, it encourages um, risky sexual behavior. It, increase, it encourages uh, sexual behavior among multiple people. And it, it encourages doing all of this without using condoms or any type of, of protection. Not so that we would recommend it, those in any circumstance. Correct. But, <laughs> but that is the point for the secular world, yes. that now um, the Center for Disease Control is seeing a spike in, in sexually transmitted diseases, and they're wondering why. Well, this is why. We, we've created a society that's much more promiscuous and pornography seems to show that this is all normal activity, that everybody's doing it, you should be doing it too. And by the way, don't wear a condom, you don't need to. So it increases all kinds of risky behavior. But what we need to really understand is that our children are at risk because this increases um, increases, increases sexual uh, abuse in children. And there are several studies that show that... Um, that, you know, there's a new group of, of men who abuse children who are not pedophiles. And when they were interviewed, they said, well, yeah, we saw, you know, we saw this on pornography. and We kind of wanted to experiment. We wanted to try something new. Oh. So this adaptability of the brain is incredible. So, you know, you're not stimulated anymore by watching pornography. You want to have more um, intense viewing. And then the, the logical uh, next step is you want to try this out. And that is exactly the link between pornography and prostitution and sex trafficking. You know, it's interesting. Whenever there is a tragic school shooting, it's not uncommon to have people lining up saying, well, the perpetrator's uh, brain was changed from violent video games. Um, oh, yes. Yet we don't hear the same yeah. sort of outpour of disgust and concern about pornography and violence against women. It's interesting Correct. that we have sort of a societal Correct. double standard there, isn't it? 
Yes, yes, because, and I'll tell you where this came out, uh, really came out, Chris, when I was um, I was being interviewed by local papers, and um, the young reporters just did not want to accept the fact that pornography was linked to human trafficking. Oh. They did not want to create that link. And, um, and, you know, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, who's been in Washington, D.C., since the 60s, who has an annual summit every year on the Capitol, has, un, you know, mountains of data. There's absolutely no, um, no doubt that pornography is linked to human trafficking because this is what men want to try out. They see it. They've seen it again. It becomes kind of uh, uh, boring, and they want to try it out with someone else. And wow. that's that's the that's the fuel of human trafficking, the scourge of human trafficking. That it now is not only um, uh, involving women, but it involves children. That's the key. Wow, that's remarkable. Hard to even listen to as we yeah. think about uh, sort of three practical areas affected by pornography, um, and share with us how you feel pornography affects them. And that would be, I think, uh, normal, healthy courtship or dating, uh, healthy marriages, and then just family life in general. How do you see those three areas uh, being well, affected by pornography? You know, um, I, I just read something a, a couple of weeks ago about a teenager who was arrested for trying to choke a a young girl, they were teenagers, in the back seat of his car, trying to choke her, and he almost killed her. And what he told detectives was, quote, she was supposed to like it. Now, now, where where in the world would a 16, 17-year-old boy think that choking a girl is something she would like? Hmm. So he saw that. It's it's absolutely um, from another world. the The culture is acting. Young people are acting in terms of what they're seeing. Yeah, I and think it's deviant. It's deviant sexual behavior. It's I think not, we can say there's not a, anywhere. Yeah, there's objective uh, objective data that says uh, activity and behaviors are changing and beginning to mimic what's seen um, in this artificial realm. How, how does how is it affecting marriages, stability of marriages, intimacy in marriages, or, or just you know the the bond of trust in marriage? Well, I think I think um, it'll destroy marriages. It, uh, is yeah, there I data patient, to support that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I'll just tell you the last week I had a breast cancer patient who is an attorney. She does. All she does is divorces. So I asked her. Uh, I asked. I said, you know, just off the cuff, what, what, how, how often is pornography part of the divorce proceeding? And she said, I tell you honestly, she said a hundred percent of the time. Oh That's my what she said. goodness! A hundred percent of the time. I was floored. I had no, you know, said this is a major issue in every divorce case that she's done. This is a senior attorney in town. So I have no doubt that you know it, it's a violation of your marriage, right? To 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 to, to use pornographic material, so you violated uh, you know the the very uh, the most intimate relationship you can have, which is with your spouse. You violate that by by viewing pornography. Now the other thing is that uh, it it completely changes uh, men's expectations. They don't you know because they're they're used to a supernormal stimulus, a supernormal stimulus, and so nothing compares anymore. And this is why men are having such a high incidence of um, erectile dysfunction, because they are, um, you know, they're not able to have sex with a, you know, a normal woman because they're used to this supernormal uh, stimulus. Al, I'd like to delve into an area that's become popular in a good way, and that is more and more college males on campuses are requesting that their colleges block all pornography that can come through their internet. In fact, uh, campuses that are doing this include Catholic University of America, Belmont Abbey College, Christendom, Franciscan, Holy Cross. Um, Interestingly, men at Notre Dame uh, requested it, but uh, they got a big no from their um, 
uh, you know, superiors there. So no pornography uh, cover-up, but it's okay to cover up Christopher Columbus at Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I don't understand yeah. either. <laughs> but there and and online, uh, and an article in a place called The Daily Beast, known to support liberal causes, wrote on December 6, 2018, about this student-initiated movement to ban porn on campuses. And I've got three quotes from there I want you to respond to because I think you might be able to help listeners respond to their friends who say that porn is not a problem. So here's the first quote from that article. Quote, whether porn is actually a problem on campus, however, is debatable, end quote. How would you respond to that? Well, you know, I, I think it's, um, uh, it's the porn apologists that, again, are making statements without facts. The facts are that sexual assault on campuses have increased in the last five years. And I can't do give you the exact, but they have increased. And so, and the the idea of of you know rape um, is 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 not as a serious thing anymore uh, as it used to be on campuses. And they have demonstrated in is, studies that those who view men who view pornography are more likely to consider rape as a normal thing. Normal thing they'd like to try. Correct, because you know they uh, as. As uh, Patrick Truman has stated multiple times, pornography encourages men to be predators and women to be to be victims. The second quote is, there's also little evidence that porn consumption leads to negative treatment of women. <laughs> How uh, do you respond to that? You know, I, again, that's just not what the data shows. Um, Gail Dines, uh, a feminist, has multiple uh, as sociologists from Boston College has done uh, she's written a book called Pornland and that details very well how uh, how attitudes towards women have markedly changed and um, violence against women specifically sexual violence has increased so I you know this is these are statements without much data and then finally number three in fact research shows that whether or not someone thinks of pornography as a problem is closely tied to how religious they are yeah and um, again I think that's false and you know the reason we had a conference in Spokane uh, when we organized it we were very specific about not making it a uh, a religious conference we wanted it to be non-religious, and we wanted to present all the secular data so that it wouldn't be dismissed. So what the, what, um, you know, what um, the Daily Beast has done is the oldest playbook is to say, oh, you know, it's just because you're Catholic and you, <laughs> yes. you, can't, you, you can't get in touch with your sexuality. If you would only accept your sexuality, then you'd be fine. And so that's what we wanted not to be uh, dismissed by, saying that we're a Catholic organization, a Catholic university. We wanted to present all the secular arguments which are, which are there. The science is absolutely there. And when we post this, we're going to post uh, a link to all the talks that were given at your conference at Gonzaga University. But right now, we're going to take a break on Dr. Doctor before our last segment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor, and it is now time for the answer to this week's trivia question, and it's a long one. Uh, way back in 2016, the same year the Republican Party added a plank to its platform that said, hey, pornography is a public health crisis. Uh, Utah kicked off a movement in the state legislators to call this what it is. So, Tom, take it away with our question. So how many states have declared pornography a public health crisis as of uh, July 2019, the answer is 16 states so far since this movement started with one state in 2016. Now, almost all the votes have been party-line votes in the various states, with Republicans voting yes, this is a crisis, Democrats saying no. And so this brings up a question that I have for our guest, um, Al Oliva, and that is that the Democrats who vote against the resolution say that the problem is really a lack of comprehensive sex education in the schools. How would you respond to that, Al? Well, um, on the local level, my wife and I have been fighting the the local uh, 
uh, school board about the sex ed curriculum, which is designed and created by Planned Parenthood. And um, it is uh, absolutely inappropriate for young children. So what we're doing is we're taking away innocence. We're introducing concepts that are not even in their sexual um, platform yet. And we're, and we are in effect grooming them uh, so that they can become sexually active. So actually, if Democrats, these Democrats got their way, they would even right. make the pornography problem worse. Worse, yes, because now you're introducing sexuality to young kids or it's not even on their radar yet. You know, it's and it is grooming. It's, it's fascinating. Grooming. We, we've been attacked several times by so-called feminists when we're uh, anti-contraceptive. That's anti-woman. Um, and so we struggle how that the pro-woman group could call themselves pro-contraception. But where is the fem- so-called feminist group um, coming out against pornography? I just don't, I well, don't see that happening. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because the, one of the um, strongest anti-pornography uh, advocates in the, in the world is a woman named uh, Gail Dines who spoke at our conference, and she is a uh, wave two feminist, as she describes herself. <laughs> she describes herself as a secular a Jew feminist, and if you listen to her video, you'll, you'll see. Now, you know, we, we are diametrically opposed on many issues, but on pornography, we've become close friends. And, I, and, and this is a person I do admire because she's honest. Um, but so I asked her, why are some feminists pro-pornography? And she says, well, the feminist movement isn't what it was. So the wave three and wave four feminists think that pornography somehow empowers women, and, but they don't realize that these women are coerced. These are not women who are acting under free will. They're coerced by poverty. They're coerced by uh, socioeconomic uh, that they can't control. They are enslaved. So if they actually understood what was going on to these women, there's no supporting. Al, so they're basically ignorant. We want to end on a positive note. So I'd like you to address two things in this last segment, and that is what can we do to protect our families, ourselves, our children? And number two, what hope is there for people who are addicted and want to be free from it? Right. So to answer the first question, I think there is a role for filters. I would, I would recommend your listeners go to Covenant Eyes uh, they have a, a wonderful set of services that you can block and, and control all of your devices. We've been using uh, it for, for years in my family. For, yeah, so that's very good. But the point I want to make to, the, to, to all of us is that we have to create what uh, Gail Dines even calls resilience. We have, to, we have to create an environment where, unfortunately, we have to start talking to our children about this um, at a very young age, uh, more y- younger than we would like to, and it's a difficult discussion to have, but we need to be able to 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 create an environment so then when they're exposed to pornography, they reject it. Can you give they're examples of some ways to talk to young children about it appropriately? Well, you know, there's a book out called uh, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, and uh, it's kind of a sketchbook, and I I think that's a very good way to start, to just kind of have a child understand that, you know, you're going to be exposed on the Internet. You might see a picture of something that's disturbing to you immediately to turn away and tell me about it so we can talk about it. So... The, the the hard part is not to destroy their innocence, you know, not to uh, destroy their their awe about life uh, and making everybody a boogeyman. So, uh, you know, I don't think I have all the answers to how you do that, but I think it's important that we start having discussions with our own kids. And what um, about pre- um, treatment, healing for those addicted? Yeah. Well, you, first of all, um, this is... You know, this is an important point because um, right now treatment is considered for compulsive sexual behavior. And in the next um, the, uh, BMV, the uh, diagnosis treatment, it's actually going to be considered an addiction. 
And the reason it's important is because then the therapist can actually bill appropriately and get paid. So you, there, there are, you definitely have to be in the treatment of a, of a, a professional who deals with sexual addiction. And there's a, an organization called the International Association for Sex uh, Addiction Therapists. And that's the legitimate group. And, and that website can give a lot of information of who you can see locally. This is not something that you're going to be able to, to cure on your own. This is something that needs professional counseling. So prayer it's on its own is it, not going to cure somebody? No, if it's a true sexual addiction, I, I believe in prayer, uh, certainly, but I would, I would uh, add prayer, uh, I, I would add a, a real qualified therapist to the prayer. And, and it, it has, to, has to involve the spouse. The second part, ah. the second part of our conference was is, was all about treatment. What um, and, and when was this conference held, and, and how it was, was it received? On uh, February twenty third uh, at Gonzaga University, and despite the bitter cold and record snowfall, uh, the, the conference sold out with uh, five hundred attendees. Wow. And, um, you know, our own Bishop Daly, God bless him, supported the conference and attended. Uh, and uh, there were nuns, priests, uh, college kids. There was a real mixture of the, of the entire society in Spokane. And we were, you know, trying to reach the young people because that's really, uh, that, those are the kids that need to receive this message, how, how detrimental this activity is. We are going to make available to all our listeners the 11 videos from your conference. Uh, but in case you want to search it, uh, if you search the New Drug Conference on the Catholic Medical Association YouTube channel, uh, you'll find that. Now, since we have Al on the show, we want to shift gears now. And uh, we've been mentioning on our last few shows our upcoming annual education conference for the Catholic Medical Association. This year it's called Physician Heal Thyself. Living a Fulfilled Life in Medicine. It's going to be held in Nashville at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel, September 26th to 28th. And there'll be expert speakers focusing on the crisis of physician and healthcare professional burnout. We're even going to get Christian music artist Matt Maher on, on Friday evening to um, entertain us and, uh, and uh, do praise with us. But, Al, my question for you is, why would you recommend that a Catholic physician, nurse, other healthcare professional, or even interested layperson, why might they want to attend this conference? Well, I'll tell you, I, um, since I started attending the conference years ago, I would never miss the conference. It's that important. And the reason to not miss it is, that is, is because we are under attack as physicians of conscience. So anyone who practices medicine and actually has uh, faith is being attacked today in, in, a, in a manner that's never been seen before. So we need to rally together. We need to support each other and come up with legislative action to protect our right to practice medicine according to, to our conscience and our principles uh, guided by the divine uh, healer himself, Jesus Christ, because the culture today is no longer willing to uh, simply dismiss us. They want us to participate. They want us to be part of this culture of death that we see today. And if we don't participate, we're going to be sanctioned. And soon enough, the next generation of physicians will not be allowed to practice. So it's, um, it's our scary times. Uh, and we have to come together in order to to uh, come up with an effective strategy. If listeners want more information to sign up, they can do it, go to the CMA website at cathmed.org, C-A-T-H-M-E-D.org. Dr. Al Aliva, thank you so much for being a guest on Dr. Doctor today. You're very welcome, um, and thank you for having me. And Chris, how would you summarize your takeaway points from this incredible segment. Well, it's tough. There's nothing uplifting about this topic, is there? I, I don't no. think our listeners will rank this as one of the most uplifting shows that we've done, but arguably it may be one of the most important. I'd put it right up there with the opioid crisis 
topic. But this is a crisis that not everybody agrees is a crisis, like the opioids. Yeah, when uh, I think that is true. I do think of the phrase that the devil's greatest weapon is to convince us that he doesn't exist. Yes. <laughs> and this is a crisis. It's destroying families. It's destroying relationships. Uh, how goes the family goes society. Yeah, John Paul uh, too. And this is destroying families. Um, and I think, you know, as, as men in particular, um, we most of us would throw ourselves in front of a bullet to protect our family. Most of us would uh, gladly attack an intruder who came yes. into our home. There's a great intrusion that's taking place in homes uh, all over the world, and that is uh, pornography through the Internet. Well, that's a powerful analogy. I mean, it really is. Yeah. And so you, we have to fight to protect our children. Uh, and it, we can't be naive as to the technology. Any device today has access to the internet. And even if you have your home locked down using Covenant Eyes, as Al mentioned, or yes. another great software product, we can't remember what happens when our kids leave our homes. Right. Uh, whether they're seeing it, pornography on the sports field or from other kids' devices, we can't control those children and their access. So I think the takeaway is we've got to do more. We've got to fight uh, the good fight and protect our children. Listeners, thank you for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association brought to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend. And if they want to catch up on back episodes, you can listen on iTunes or Google Play Podcasts. And please be sure to tune in next week for your next appointment with Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your question to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at redeemerradio.com doctor where you can also find all our past episodes. Keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app or by following us on Facebook at Dr. Doctor Show.